Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The 18th Sunday after Trinity, Matthew 22, 34 through 46. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, all of Holy Scripture, the Old as well as the New Testament, yes, every book contains two main teachings, the law and the gospel. Both both must ever be together. If the one fails, the other also fails. If the one is lost, the other is also lost. If the one is not correctly known, the other is also not correctly known. If the one is not pure but falsified, the other is also falsified. And as the gospel does not attain its purpose without the law, so the law also does not attain its purpose without the gospel. While both of these teachings are as inseparably united as mountain and valley, light and shadow, just so sharply are they separated from one another. They are as different as day and night, earth and heaven, human and divine works, taking and giving, death and life, wrath and grace, damnation and salvation. Everything which a Christian believes and hopes rests upon the knowledge of this difference. Therefore, Whoever does not yet know this difference cannot be a Christian. His faith, his hope, all his works rest upon an uncertain, shaking foundation. An uncertain faith, an uncertain hope, an uncertain deed is absolutely not a Christian faith, a Christian hope, a Christian deed. Still less can a preacher be a true preacher without the proper distinction between the law and the gospel. The Apostle Paul expressly demands that every bishop must rightly handle the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. All the sects in the Christian church fail because they, above all, do not know the proper distinction between law and gospel. This is the source of all their errors. Some, as the papists, make a law out of the gospel. Others, as the rationalists, the preachers of reason and virtue, Make a gospel out of the law. All enthusiasts, all heterodox, as well as all hypocrites and unionizing mixers of religion, continually confuse both doctrines with each other in the most dangerous manner. We cannot thank God enough that through the work of Luther's Reformation, the distinction between the law and the gospel was again brought to light. Our evangelical Lutheran Church 
has the true key to all the books of the Holy Scriptures, the true guiding star through all doctrines of divine revelation, the pure light upon all of God's mysterious secrets and counsels, the true touchstone of pure and false doctrine. And because in our church, law and gospel can be correctly separated from another, anyone can easily come to the knowledge of the true way to salvation and become certain of it. The prophet and proper insight into the distinction between the law and the gospel, which has been given us, is a great treasure. All the gold and silver of the world is to be considered as nothing. For the sake of this treasure, every Lutheran should love his church, as the believers of the Old Covenant loved their Jerusalem, and with them say of their church, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Psalm 137. The text for the basis of our meditation today, Matthew 22, 34 to 46. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. On the basis of this rich, wonderful text, permit me to show you the folly of seeking one's salvation in the law and not alone in the gospel. This is foolish for these reasons. Salvation is sought in vain in the law, but it can be found only in the gospel of Christ. We pray. Faithful Father in God, you have said a thousand times and proven it in deeds that you do not want any to be lost, but that all should be helped, that all should come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. But see, most, because of false security, are lost. They are not interested in the salvation of their immortal souls, and they desire nothing but the riches and pleasures of this life. And alas, those who are concerned about their salvation seek it in the main where it is not to be found, so that, even today, you must complain. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Ah, Lord God, guard us from both evils. Remove all security. Awaken us to earnestly ask, Lord, what must we do to be saved? But then also help us, that it cannot be said of us, they return but not upward. Enlighten and rule us by your Holy Spirit, that our soul, which asks to be saved, will seek it where alone it is to be found. 
and when we have found it. May we hold fast to it until we finally come to that place where it can never be taken from us. To that end, bless your word in the hearts of all of us and also in this hour. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Our text begins with the words, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Lord, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Shortly before, the Sadducees, who did not believe in a resurrection, submitted a question to Jesus on this topic. When they believed, Jesus could not answer. But from the writings of Moses, Christ had proven the resurrection so clearly that all the people scorned them. The Pharisees, who were the enemies of the Sadducees, not only felt happy about it, but also decided to shame the Sadducees and advance their own glory by showing how one must go about overcoming Christ. They thought, If Christ, who had so easily defeated the Sadducees, must become silent at their question, their authority with the people would increase greatly. What did they do? They met and finally decided to submit a question which they deemed unsolvable, since they themselves could never agree about it. The question was, which was the the great commandment in the law? Some of them supposed that it was the commandment of the Sabbath. Others, the commandment on sacrifices. Others, again, the commandment of circumcision. Since objections from Scripture could be made to each of these answers, they thought that this was an insolvable riddle. But in order to be on the safe side, they elected a lawyer, whom they believed would refute with the Scriptures whatever answer Christ might give. Now, after they had everything well arranged, the lawyer came forward and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? He means to say, You permit yourself to be called a teacher. Well, now prove your expertise. Answer this question, which no learned man has been able to answer until this hour. Beyond a doubt, everyone present, Pharisees and the people, were now tensely waiting to see what Christ would say in answer to this supposedly most difficult question of all. And what did Christ answer? Without even pausing for a minute to think, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. With consternation, the people and the Pharisees heard this answer. No one could reply to it. In vain, they all looked to that lawyer who had ventured into the arena with Christ. Even he is silent. Even he, just like all who were present, immediately felt in his conscience that the apparently insoluble riddle was solved. Since love to God and to neighbor contains in itself the sum of all the commandments, those of the first table as well as those of the second, then this commandment of love must necessarily be the greatest, highest, and most important of all. But, my friends, we would make a serious mistake if we would suppose that Christ gave his answer merely to shame the Pharisees. No, he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. He had also, in saying this, the gracious purpose of showing them how foolish it was to seek their salvation in the law, where it can never be found. 
That, my friends, is actually the way it is. If, as the Pharisees thought, and as today countless so-called Christians still think, the fulfillment of the law consisted alone in fulfilling this or that duty, exercising this or that virtue, doing this or that work, avoiding this or that sin, denying this or that which he feels he ought, then, of course, it would be possible that many people would fulfill the law and actually find in it his salvation. The most important, the greatest commandment in the law, the real sum, the true meaning, the heart of the law is much more. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Where this love fails, a person may do and refrain from doing in thoughts, bearing, words, and deeds what he will. He still has not fulfilled the law in the least. Along with the greatest and most important commandment, he has transgressed them all. Of which person can it be said that he loves God with his whole heart, with his whole soul, and with his whole mind? Heart means the will, soul the emotions, mind man's reason. Therefore, only he loves God with his whole heart, who has made God's will his will. With his whole soul, only he who fully desires God. With his whole mind, only he whose thoughts are continually directed to God. Whoever thinks that he loves God, but not with his will, is a hypocrite. Whoever loves God with his heart, but not with his whole heart, is straddling the fence and does not love God at all. For God can and wishes to fill man's entire heart. Whoever thinks that he loves God, but not with his soul, does not really love God at all. And whoever loves God with his soul, but not with his whole soul, has a lukewarm love. God will spew that lukewarm love out of his mouth. God can and wants to be loved ardently with all of man's emotions. Whoever thinks that he loves God, but not with his mind, has as yet not known God. Whoever loves him, but not with his whole mind, does not yet know God as his highest good. He does not consider God as God, meaning to love God. He loves only God's gifts, his creatures. No, only he loves God with his heart and with his soul and with his mind, who is pleased with everything which pleases God and who is displeased with everything which displeases God, who loves everything good because God loves it, and hates everything evil because God hates it, who, as he loves a gift or a creature, loves it only for the sake of God, thus really loves only God in them, who has his greatest joy in God, and therefore always desires communion with and the companionship of God, who finds joy in nothing without God, but with God is at peace and happy, even in misfortune. If for God's sake or according to God's counsel he loses or suffers something, he does not consider it a loss, but a gain, not sorrow, but only joy. In short, only he loves God with his heart and with his soul and with his mind, in whose heart is nothing but love to God, who loves nothing more and nothing in the same way but God whose love to God never ceases, is never interrupted, and never wanes, who is filled and guided in everything which he thinks, 
speaks, and does with the love of God. Yet the law does not only demand that we love God above all things, but also that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, of which person can this be said? We will form the correct opinion of this when we reflect on how each person loves himself. Man does not literally seem to love himself, but he loves himself sincerely, not coldly or lukewarmly, but ardently, not only now and then, but continually, not only when he is pious, but also when he is godless. He never seeks his own hurt, but always his profit, even if it means the greatest difficulty or peril. Therefore, only he loves his neighbor as himself, who is so minded toward each man, be it friend or enemy, be he godly or pious, as though each person were he himself, who loves each person as sincerely, as ardently, as continually as he loves himself, who wards off harm to his neighbor as zealously and seeks his profit of the neighbor as eagerly as though it were harm to himself and his own profit. Yes, Only he loves his neighbor as himself who, as the apostle says, does not seek his own, but that which is another's. Only he loves his neighbor as himself, whose whole life and actions have the purpose of serving his neighbor. He is not only ready to suffer harm himself so that his neighbor can benefit, but also where it is necessary to give his life for him. Now, my friends, tell me. Who loves God and their neighbors that way? It is true that we live in a time which prides itself on being known as the age of love, in which they continually speak of love as the most important thing, in which countless public and secret societies have been organized, all of which pretend to spread only the religion and practice and the works of love. But if we compare the love that God's law demands with that love of which they brag, we will soon see that 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 which is called love is nothing else but the most flagrant, the most selfish self-love. Just because love has died out, just because no one wishes to assist his neighbor voluntarily, societies are established which use the prospect of greater personal profit to compel one to do hypocritical works of love. What are these so-called charitable affairs, which are now so numerous, the balls, banquets, plays, raffles, and the like? What else are they but proofs that true love can no longer be found, that only selfishness, only self-interest rules the world? But cannot at least true Christians say that they actually love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and their neighbor as themselves? Indeed, there are enthusiasts, especially in our land, who claim that they have acquired this perfect love. Yet, what else is that but inconceivable delusion? What else but manifest insanity and madness of the heart? The flame of true love to God and one's neighbor, even to one's enemy, is rekindled in the hearts of all true Christians. Where this heavenly fire does not yet burn, that whole pretend Christianity is nothing but lies and self-deception. Yet where are the Christians who can say that nothing but God's love dwells in them, 
and that their whole life is nothing else but a joyful service to their neighbor? Where are the Christians who can say that the driving power of all their thoughts, attitudes, words, and deeds is only love of God and their neighbor? Where are the Christians who can say that they have never been and as yet are not indifferent toward God and their neighbor, to say nothing of having never been filled with hatred? Alas, if a person examines himself in the law of love, and though he be the most holy Christian, he must with David bend his knee, hurl himself into the dust, and sigh, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Psalm 143. One could not answer him once in a thousand times. Job 9. If God should judge man according to the law, he must judge him according to the love which he has. For only love is the fulfilling of the law. If there were no other divine doctrine except the doctrine of the law, all men after the fall would have to be eternally damned. And that is the very reason why it is so foolish, yes, insane, to seek one's salvation by fulfilling the law. Fortunately for us, there is another doctrine, a doctrine in which eternal praise and glory be to God, that salvation that miserable man seeks in vain in the law can be found. And this teaching is none other than the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Permit me to add a little about this. We are further informed in our text that while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put you, your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. What may have been the reason why Christ, after he had answered the question about the law, submitted by the Pharisees, now questions them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Christ's motive was to convince the blind Pharisees that the salvation they sought in vain in the law would most certainly be found in the gospel of Christ. The Pharisees were deceiving themselves with a completely false idea about the Christ promised by the prophets. They supposed that he would be a mere man, set up a glorious worldly kingdom, and make the Jews a nation ruling all the nations of the earth. Yet according to their own confession, the promised Christ is the son of David. But, call, but David calls him his Lord even before he was born. Christ there shows the Pharisees that he, Christ, could not be a mere man, but must be God's eternal son himself. The Pharisees themselves should finally com conclude from this that also Christ's kingdom could not be a human, earthly, and temporal, but must be a divine, heavenly, and eternal kingdom in which salvation alone is found. And so it is, my friends, as our love to God and our neighbor is the sum of the law. So Christ's love to us is the sum of the gospel. Though a person may always, in shame, lower his eyes at the question, Have you kept the law? 
as long as he can joyfully and heartily answer the question, what do you think about the Christ, whose son is he? By saying, he is the Lord and therefore also my Lord, who has redeemed me a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil. He did this not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, so that I may be his own, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. Oh, nothing can tear him from his salvation, who can from his heart call Christ his Lord, even though he never has, nor can he now, fulfill the law. As a poor servant has nothing to fear because of his great debts, and his many enemies, if he has a Lord who loves him, is gracious, wealthy, and rules over everything, who has paid his debts and wants to protect him, so also no one has to fear death, the judgment, and hell because of his sins, if in faith he has accepted Christ as his Lord. Jesus not only wants to pay his whole debt of sin, but has paid them long ago. He not only wants to conquer the enemies of his soul, but has conquered them long ago. Oh, my friends, do not then be so foolish as to seek your salvation in the law. Rather, learn to know that we are all condemned by the law. For we have not loved God above all things and our neighbor as ourself, and are not able to do so. Therefore, flee quickly from the law as from burning Sodom, and seek your refuge in the quiet zoar of the gospel of Christ. Christ himself called the hardened Pharisees to that place. Today he calls us also. There you will find what your sin-laden soul is seeking, forgiveness, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There, out of grace that is given you what the law with its threats demands of you. And what is most wonderful, whoever seeks his salvation in the gospel receives another heart which begins to glow in the love of God and his neighbor. For he to whom much is given also loves much. In that way, he receives even here the first fruits of the harvest of eternal life. When he dies, all remnants of sin die with him, and he will awaken in eternity perfect in the image of God. Then, as he there sees God face to face, the eternal triune light of God so shines through his whole being, that before its rays, all the darkness of sin will eternally vanish from him. May Jesus Christ, God's and David's Son, praise to all eternity, grant this to us all. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.